Hey, y'all. Every once in a while, we recommend a podcast we like, and today we want to tell you about one of our new favorites. Vanishing Postcards. Hosted by Texas native Evan Stern, Vanishing Postcards invites listeners to ride shotgun on a road trip to explore unsung dives, old ways, and frequently threatened histories. Telling stories from dance halls and barbecue joints, from honky-tonks and more. Vanishing Postcards is immersive and it's smart. It's the perfect thing for when you need a breather, but you don't have time or the luxury to hit the open road. Listen up, y'all. And tell Evan we sent you. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 In this episode of Gravy, we explore the black belt beyond black and white. We'll meet two women who don't fit the black-white binary. They belong to the black belt. They contribute to the black belt. One cilantro-floated bowl of menudo and one tray of mahmoul at a time. Emily Blavaz reported the heck out of this one. The Alabama Black Belt has always been a place of migration, the site of both forced and elective movement. Today, our reasons for leaving and coming home are still shaped by the desire for better lives and livelihoods. So the Black Belt is, and always has been, home to all kinds of people with all kinds of stories. Maria runs a Mexican restaurant and grocery in the Black Belt. In sensitivity to her immigration status, we will not use her real first name, nor identify the town where she lives. You'll hear Maria's voice speaking Spanish and a translator's voice speaking her words in English. Maria grew up in Michoacan, Mexico, with her parents, four younger sisters, grandmother, and two aunts in the house. From the beginning, she loved her grandmother and loved to cook, and the two went hand in hand. My grandmother was really like my mother. The first dessert that she taught me to make was uh, arroz con leche, which is milk and rice, and it's kind of sweet. I love the typical, the traditional dishes. In my hometown, is is very traditional or, or popular, la morisqueta. It's plain rice boiled with salt, and it's served with pork with sauce and beans, chicken enchiladas. Tacos dorados. Or tacos dorados. So for parties, they would cook birria, carnitas, o mole. So mole is uh, a dish that every state has a different flavor. Regularly, mole is made out of chicken, and you serve it with rice. Okay, para el mole lleva el chile guajillo. So it has chile guajillo, pepper, uh, cloves, garlic. So my personal uh, choice is I use tomatillo and regular tomatoes. And mi sabor personal. My personal touch. Growing up, Maria's family raised chickens and had a garden. Now we grew our own ingredients. Chile serranos. So it's peppers, jalapenos. Con elotes. Corn. Este. La calabaza. The squash. Food was also their primary source of income. Maria's father grew and sold corn, cantaloupe, lemons, and limes. Her mother cooked and sold food from the house, and Maria's grandmother, widowed when her six children were all under age 16, also cooked for a living. 
She sold dinners during the week and menudo on Sundays. El menudo para nosotros los mexicanos. So for us Mexicans, menudo is a dish on Sundays that is the law. La panza de res. So it's you use the tripe of the cow with some of the parts of the leg of the cow. And you cook that with garlic and guajillo pepper. La gente lo pido mucho, mucho. And people love it, love it, love it, love it. Llegaban y dejaban sus ollas. So people on the way to church, they would drop their pot, their container, and the money under it, and would leave it outside the house so that her grandmother would fill it, and then she would get her pay on the way to church. A las seis de la mañana era la primera misa. So after they got out of mass, my grandmother had all the containers filled with menudo. Como una setenta. About 70 containers. So since I'm six years old, I would help Todos los domingos every Sunday in the morning. In 2007, Maria came to the U.S. to escape violence in Mexico. She'd been living in Guanajuato for six years, working as a cook. She was 32 years old and had three of her four children with her. She arrived in the Black Belt with the dream of owning a Mexican grocery and restaurant. Uh, pues, todo el tiempo. So all the time my mother has sold food. And so all the time I always had the wish and the will to have my own business and not to work for anybody else. But first she had to save. She worked all kinds of jobs to support her family and to save for the tienda. Limpiaba casas. I would clean houses. I would clean offices. And I would cook for a, another taqueria that was around. Lo que pasa que yo vendía comida. I would cook meals and I would deliver them from home to home. By 2012, Maria was ready. She intended to open just the grocery, but people familiar with her cooking had other ideas. Entonces ya todo mundo me conocía. So everybody knew my cooking, and when I opened, they came, yeah, clever. Que la gente me empezara. So honestly, at first, I only had the tienda, the grocery store part, but actually it was the people that asked me to start preparing dishes. Maria's tienda is stocked with everything from dried herbs to prayer candles to tostadas. Customers eat at a few tables in back, and Maria serves from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, mixing the traditions of her hometown of Michoacan with those of Guanajuato. So I make, I cook here what's called menudo. Caldo de res. Uh, caldo de res, which is like a beef soup. So caldo de camarón, which is shrimp soup. So pork ribs in green sauce, which is more local for Michoacan. So, and then pork, uh, pork ribs in adobo, which is more like a red sauce that is more a traditional from Guanajuato y que otro? In Veracruz. Veracruz. So, uh, so the other one is milanesa de pollo, which is uh, breaded chicken. And you serve it with rice, beans, and salad. And then I also sell tacos that are made out of tongue, uh, sausage, um, pastor, which is a seasoned pork, tripa, which is tripe, and then steak. And for dessert, Napolitan flan, chocolate flan. So, and it's uh, mosaic jello that has different. Uh, flavors of jello all put together. Pineapple, lime, orange, strawberry. And so then you make a batch of uh, 
vanilla or milk based jello and so then you mix it all and so it's like a white jello with looks like crystals made out of the other flavor of jellos. Mosaic jello is traditionally served at birthday parties in Mexico and Maria often makes it by request. Many of her customers are regulars who come every week, some driving 90 minutes to visit. The Tienda has black, white, and Latino customers, who are mostly from Mexico, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. The Guatemalan community, when they first arrive, they speak their indigenous language. They don't speak Spanish. I don't know their language, but you help them kind of navigate little by little. Maria thinks Latinos are more integrated into the community now than when she first arrived in 2007. The Latino community was smaller then, and Maria had no one to help her adjust the way she tries to help fellow immigrants now. So at the beginning when we got here, we didn't interact a lot with the local community. So I feel that now we're, a little, we're getting a little bit closer. We interact more. We're less... Um, shy or less uh, afraid of interacting with the local community. Maria is thankful to be in the States, and she's proud of how hard her children have worked here. Thank God my kids in this country have moved forward and have succeeded, and they, and they have accomplished the goals that they each one have set up for themselves. And for her 13 grandchildren, really, honestly, I want the best for them, that they continue to study more than anything. Really, honestly, to see them grow and succeed. Maria's favorite dish is still one from her own childhood. El mole. 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 Es que era el platillo favorito de mi abuela. Oh, it was my grandmother's favorite dish. And she would eat just like a child. She would get the mole all over. When we come back, we'll hear from a daughter of the Black Belt who left and vowed never to return. Hey, Melissa. Is it possible for me to love gravy any more than I already do? I don't know, Mary Beth, but maybe. We're already planning for the 2022 season, and we want listener ideas. What kind of gravy would you like to hear? Is there a story that needs to be told? Or maybe a sillier closing line that we should be using. I have never been sold on pouring gravy into your ears. That is so gross. What do you want, Mary Beth? Binders full of gravy? Buckets full of gravy? A gallon of gravy? Perhaps. (laughs) Tell us... And if we use your suggestions, maybe you will like gravy even more. Visit gravypodcast.com. Got it? Gravypodcast.com. And click the survey link at the top of the page. Answer a few quick questions by September 30th, and you could win dun, 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 a valuable prize. Valuable prize? How valuable? Very, very valuable. We'll ship a gravy t-shirt to three randomly selected responders. And we might even thank you in a future show. Okay, I think I've got it. Here's the recap. Visit gravypodcast.com by September 30th, answer quick questions, and earn a chance to win. We thank you in advance for helping us make better gravy. This is a migration story about a mother and a daughter. 
My name is Sarah Cole, and I am the owner, founder, baker, creator behind Abadir's Pastry and Light Fair in Greensboro, Alabama. And my name is Margaret Cole, and I'm Sarah Cole as well. Sarah grew up in Demopolis, Alabama. After graduating from journalism school, she tried several jobs before finding herself in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, working at a farmer's market and bakery where something clicked. She loved the food part of her work, but equally, she loved working with farmers and small business owners. The nonprofit that I worked for, their big thing was trying to unite the neighborhood, make sure that housing prices weren't, were affordable for everyone. And they started that farmer's market as a way to make food accessible in the community because there wasn't really a grocery store and it felt it you know it felt really nice to be a part of that but the whole time I was like I'm doing this for a community that I don't really have a deep tie to like why can't I do that that in a place where I know or like I actually have a connection to so after three years Sarah decided to come home but it wasn't an easy decision growing up in the black belt she struggled to fit in both as a child of an immigrant and as a creative spirit we are an immigrant family, so it was weird growing up there. And I mean, it wasn't like we were shunned or anything, but it was it, like I never really found my place. And then I never really felt like there was an opportunity for me to like try something else because I've always been a creative too. Sarah felt free to be herself in Pittsburgh. And so she returned to the Alabama Black Belt in 2020 with a new confidence. She settled in Greensboro and opened a pop-up pastry shop called Abadir's after her mother's maiden name. We wanted to fit with the people in here. In fact, Margaret's family changed their surname upon arriving in the States. That's why we used Anton, because it's easy for everybody. Would be Abadir would be would be different for people in here. It's not it's not a Familiar name. So using the name Abadir, in addition to just really loving that name, I was like, this is also me putting my foot down for my family and being like, you don't have to hide who you are here. You shouldn't have to. We are who we are. So That's what we always say to Quran. She was brave to do it. <laughs> you know, we can't. <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of that bravery stems from how you raised me. Y'all were, you pushed me to be a good person and to work hard and like I don't know anything other than that so if y'all hadn't done that I mean y'all were brave in your own sense <laughs> like I mean y'all you you don't see it but you are brave because look at where you came to like that was really difficult like you, the things you did are way more brave than me moving from Egypt to Demopolis Alabama like <laughs> we came with two luggage and we left a lot of things back there, and sometimes I said, I wish we had it. And people ask me, most of the time ask me, how did you land in the Mopolis? I said, my sister and I, we were very bad in the plane, and they just throw us out. <laughs> Margaret's family came to the U.S. in 1982 to escape religious persecution in Egypt. Margaret was 28 years old, and her family liked Demopolis. It was a small town, similar to their community in Egypt, and the people were friendly. Not long after they arrived, Margaret was shopping at a grocery store when their produce manager, Cleveland Cole, noticed her and decided to ask her out. For their first date, Margaret cooked him an Egyptian meal. It was the okra, the okra with the hamburger meat and the 
the potatoes with the sliced onion and garlic and tomato sauce and and chicken with it too. Good chicken with it and made the cake. Cleveland and Margaret Cole eventually married and raised two daughters. And one of Sarah's most vivid childhood memories is watching her mother cook. The thing I remember my mom is like, like I can just like see it. I can like see the light and everything in the kitchen and just like my mom being over the counter and just her arms would just like, just always kind of, almost like a flapping movement, I guess. And it was... She just wanted to try. She wanted to know how the technique how we do the technique. That's all she wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Even when we make the kahka with the mamul. These are both traditional Middle Eastern cookies. The kaka resembles tea cookies and the mamul are similar to shortbreads. It takes a long time to make these things and so it was just like repetitive mo- motions. It's not the, sh- the ingredients, but it's also like, how are you rolling it? You know, like, how are you using your fingers? Like, what's the leverage that's going into it? I guess we use art in our, the way we cook. You know, you see us rolling the cabbage, it had to be that's the, the grape leaves, it had to be that skinny, you know, and the same size. Sarah's menus are influenced by the dishes her family shared growing up. For me, Southern food was like <laughs> this weird mixture of like Egyptian dishes and Southern food. Sometimes I would take what everybody else thought of as weird foods with me to school, but then I also had like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So when people ask me like, what's on the table, that's pretty much what I tell them. Like, well, you know, my dad's from Alabama and my mom is from Egypt and this is what I eat. <laughs> They like the Egyptian food more than the American. (laughs) I make lots of traditional Egyptian pastries and little things. Like I have pita pockets and mahmoul and I do baklava and soon I'll be doing kanafa. Kanafa is a creamy dessert made with shredded filo dough, nuts, and cheese soaked in a simple syrup. Sarah omits the cheese and adds dried fruit. She bakes with several ingredients common to Middle Eastern desserts, but new to her customers. It's been fun to like introduce people to things. All the little little old ladies come through and I have a spoof, which is also known as turmeric cake. And they're, every time they come up to order, they're like, they'll tell their friend if they've been there before, you know, like they, they know all the ingredients and the things. And so they get really excited to talk about it. And they're like, you should try the turmeric cake. Turmeric is good for your arthritis. And so they just like <laughs> have these little things, like everybody finds like a way to relate to the foods. Sarah makes Egyptian food to honor her family and because it's what she knows and loves. But she also wanted to provide an opportunity for Black Belt residents to try something new, the kind of opportunity she yearned for when she was growing up here. And she believed folks would welcome it. Even when I was leaving Pittsburgh and people were like, why, like, nobody's gonna eat that food in Alabama. And I was like, see, that's the problem is people think of Alabama and they have this idea of what sort of people exist here. And the funny thing is, is when I, before I even came here, I guess our friends were like telling people in town what I might be doing. And I had people reaching out to me that I hadn't even met yet that were just like, oh my gosh, please come open this Middle Eastern bakery in Greensboro. Sarah was right. When she launched Abadir's, people turned out. They come to the pop-ups, they've been very supportive and they get excited about like learning about the different foods and they ask about the flavors and they're also just curious. They always ask me questions like, what did you eat? What does your mom make for you? And stuff like that. They want to try new things, but I just don't think they have the opportunity to do that. So it's 
nice to be that sort of medium for them to kind of branch out. I think that Abadir's is more of like a sort of way to get the conversation rolling about food and kind of like, now that I know that people are interested in things and want to try new things and are open to things, it's like, that makes me feel like something else could exist. Sarah's not exactly sure what that will be. Avidiers could become a place of cultural exchange or a food co-op or a teaching space. Sarah, Margaret, and Maria all left home, but also have found a home in the Alabama Black Belt. And all three stories demonstrate the complexity and transformation inherent to this place. Gravy was reported and produced by Jackie Clay and Emily Blavos. Ms. Clay is the curator and executive director at the Coleman Center for the Arts in Sumter County, Alabama. Ms. Blavos is the executive director of the Alabama Folklife Association. Matt Whitson mixed and edited Gravy. He's a video editor and audio engineer at Alabama Public Television, and we thank him. Special thanks go to Julia Sosa and Jenny Aris. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Visit us at southernfoodways.org. While you're there, you can learn more about the mission and work of the SFA. You can read great writing, watch compelling films, listen to intriguing stories from every corner of the South. Go there, be there. While you're there, consider making a donation to the SFA. We need your money. <laughs> We'd also love to have you as a member. That too. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Ed. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.